Welcome back to the Tasty Morsels of Critical Care podcast. Um, the subject of solid tumours in the ICU gets a, a whole chapter in O's Hallow Pages number 46. And I suppose the term solid is in place to distinguish it from the liquid tumours of the bone marrow and the domain of the haematologist. Something we've already kind of covered in Tasty Morsel number 58. Historically, the idea of admitting people to the ICU with malignancy was somewhat unusual, and the idea of admitting someone with some degree of metastatic disease would be even more heretical. But now, on a daily occurrence, I find um, people admitted post-operatively from maybe major debulking cytoreductive surgery or hepatic resections um, for metastatic colorectal CA or the slightly outlier concept of HIPEC procedures, so heated intraperitoneal chemotherapy. Um, Many of these patients are on a potentially curative trajectory that was not thought possible 20 years ago. But that being said, many patients with disseminated malignancy, even those on active treatment, are typically approaching end of life when the old multi-organ failure and ICU referral appears. Now, we would always kind of said that a cancer was a bad association for an ICU admission, but it seems that an ICU admission is actually really bad for the cancer. As there is a sort of immunosuppression that comes about with being critically ill, leading to depletion in things like natural killer cells who were rightfully going about their business killing off cancer cells um, until they got wiped out by the pneumonia, steroids and blood transfusions. For example, the beta stimulation from adrenergic agents, something that we use with great frequency in the ICU, that has a direct effect on reducing cytotoxic T-cells and natural killer cells. Let's take a look at some complications of chemotherapeutic agents that might land a patient in the ICU. One would hope, of course, that the oncologist would pick these up, but it's still important for us to have an awareness of the potential issues. I'm going to skip over the most common complication of chemotherapeutic um, treatment and that of neutropenic sepsis that comes from a beaten down bone marrow. Again, we see that all the time, we're fairly used to that, and instead I'm going to focus on some of the more niche ones. So bleomycin is a relatively commonly used agent for multiple malignancies, perhaps most famous for its potential to cause lung injury and a form of pulmonary fibrosis. The pneumonitis associated with it has been reported in up to 40% of patients according to O's manual, but um, when you did a quick review of the relevant up-to-date article, it's probably more like about 10%. It'll generally be seen in the first six months um, since treatment, but occasionally can be a late presentation. And of course, most of these will be dealt with on an outpatient basis or at a ward level and will not come near the ICU. But if you have a cancer patient with a new diffuse alveolitis, it does have a very broad differential, including, of course, multiple infections, which would probably be commonest. But it's perhaps wise to keep bleomycin in the back of your head as an alternative. Don't be surprised if that is a diagnosis that someone gives lots of steroids as that might be beneficial. Next up, ifosfamide. So ifosfamide is a sort of cyclophosphamide in disguise. It's another agent commonly used in multiple cancer types and is famously associated with an encephalopathy and also a nephrotoxicity that I'm going to mention here in passing. The encephalopathy can happen in around 20% of patients and is thought to be related to a breakdown product reducing in the name chloroacetaldehyde. Um, both um, O's manual would recommend and both the oncologist in the two cases that I've seen um, They recommended methylene blue as there was a bit of a suggestion that it might help. Interestingly, the European Society for Oncology guidelines recommend specifically against the use of methylene blue in iphosphamide-related encephalopathy.
make of that what you will. Um, next up, anthracyclines. So these are a broad group of drugs, including such tongue twisters as donorubicin, doxorubicin, and epirubicin. These are the kind of drugs that might bring a patient to the ICU five years after their cancer treatment with severe heart failure and maybe a dilated cardiomyopathy. Um, so these are cardiotoxic agents. And this type of toxicity is one reason for the, the pre-treatment echo that's considered so vital by the oncologists. Um, and there's lots of interest in things like global lo- longitudinal strain to predict early signs of complications from, from treatment for echo nerds like me who get interested in that type of thing. Finally, I'll mention um, some cautions with regards to platinum-based chemotherapeutic agents easily identified by the platinum at the end of their name, the most common one being cisplatin. Um, I, I noticed our chemo protocols have specific notes not to use gentamicin in cases of neutropenic sepsis associated with platinum-based chemo. Given that gentamicin is kind of up there in my one of my top 10 drugs in the ICU, it's up there with propofol and steroids and noradrenaline, it made me intrigued as to why. After a brief and really quite shallow rabbit hole, it seems that the prohibition is all related to ototoxicity. So amino glycosides we all know are associated with ototoxicity. And it seems cisplatin does the same thing, but by a very similar mechanism. There doesn't seem to be any kind of synergy or pharmacological trickery or enzyme induction here. It's simply like giving the two two drugs with risk to the inner ear is probably a bad idea. Um, finally, there is, a, there is a massive monoclonal antibody-shaped hole in this post um, because those immunotherapeutic agents, things like the checkpoint inhibitors, are now so common in, in much of modern oncology that we, we do start to see complications from them. They have their own list of quite specific complications that are deserving of their own post, but for now I'd point you towards the excellent internet book of critical care post and podcast that cover the topic beautifully. Um, for reading in this, mainly based on O's manual, chapter 46, uh, and I've linked to a paper by Schacht et al., um, cisplatin and amino glycoside antibiotics, hearing loss and its prevention, um, which was where most of the discussion on cisplatin and gentamicin came from. Okay, 